Well, as we continue in James, if you want to turn in your Bibles to James, first chapter. So far he's been uh, talking about going through various trials, things that we go through in our life. He talked about perseverance through those trials. He talked about uh, the double-minded man who says one thing, uh, but it's not truly believing it. And then he talked about wisdom. How do we get God's wisdom? Where do we go to for that? And he says that we go to God and we ask, and he's willing to give us that liberally, freely, and in abundance, and that we should never feel like we're pestering God too much when we go to him in prayer, because it says without reproach we can uh, approach him and ask those things. But it tells us to ask those things believing. And the hardest thing, I think, for Christians in their life is to actually do that. Ask God believing and then stay that course. Because so many times the things of this world want to pull us this way and that. So as we read in the scriptures today, we sort of read a, a paradox. So if you, know what a, if you don't know what a paradox is, I'll tell you what a paradox is. It's a statement that is seemingly contradictory to, to one another. The Bible has... Um, a lot of those, but it's it sort of, when you hear it, it, it just seems to not make sense, but when you think about it, it does, and so in the Bible, a paradox might be something like this, when I am weak, then I am strong, that's a paradox, doesn't seem to make sense at first, but when you think about it, maybe it does, anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it, another paradox, what do you mean, if you're lost, you will be found, and if you have it in me, you will be there. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Sort of contradictory, again, in today's terms, but when we think about it and when we know what the Bible truly says about it, we understand the truth in that. We owe nothing. We own nothing, yet we have everything. Second Corinthians 6.10. Another paradox. The last will be first. The first will be last. He also talks about this, there's going to be a famine that comes into the land. And so when they think of famine, we think of food and water. But he says, not of food and water, but of the word of God. And I think James sort of touches on that, because when we talk about a famine, we might be in that very time now. And you say, well, how can we be in a famine? There's more Bibles in the world today, in more languages, more missionaries, more churches, more preachers. All these things, what do you mean there's a famine? Well, James, um, one of James's uh, main themes is um, be doers of the word and not hearers only. See, a lot of people, they know what God's word says, but they are not willing to do it. They're not willing to trust in God. And so he talks about this through these paradoxes of the rich and poor. And so he tells us in the beginning that let the lowly brother or the poor brother glory in his exaltation. Let the rich man in his humiliation. Seems like a, a paradox, but it's a powerful tool, tool really for truth because it makes people think. And one of the things, if you read through the Gospels and you read what Jesus did, he made people think. He would ask questions. He would uh, answer questions many times with another question to make those individuals think through these things. And so as James goes through this, he talks about the poor are going to be challenged in the temptations of them being poor or having very little. 
So if you've ever been in that state in your life, you sort of know what that is. He says the rich will be challenged by the temptations that money cannot fix. And he goes on to say that everyone, rich, poor, and all in between, are going to go through these trials. I've often said God doesn't care what you have. He cares with what you do with what you have. Proverbs 38, 9 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult the name of God. See, everybody has their trials. Everybody has their temptations. And as James is addressing basically the Jewish converts in the church, there's Gentiles there also, He's dealing with these people. Apparently, uh, those that have and those that have not, there was a division that was going on in the church that he will address later, and we will talk about that later. But the rich, many times, depend on their money to fix problems. You know, think about the ways that people use money in the world today. We had a gentleman at a previous church that... He just thought by throwing money at things that he was going to get followers and then that he would have a a louder voice in the church. And so by giving this money and doing these things, he thought he was going to uh, gain position and power. And when that didn't happen, guess what happened? He started pulling back on those things. This church had something very similar to that. Somebody had given something. And then they wanted something in return for it. We said, that's not what this is about. And so they withdrew that substantial gift. The rich have a a way of of wanting to use their money to to fix problems. And so they don't necessarily rely on God for it. The poor, on the other hand, many times say, where is God? And they don't trust God in their situation. And so they begin to take things into their own hands. So both the rich and the poor, and many in between, because a lot of times that's a matter of our perspective, uh, may fight the temptation to act independently of God. You know, there's there's a saying sometimes that in psychology, they talk about a fight or flight uh, reaction in in the people, in, in our nature. We either tend to fight or we tend to run from something. But God describes something different. He who waits upon the Lord shall renew his strength. He shall rise up as on eagles' wings. See, we tend to take things into our own hands many times. I wanted just to share this little story. Some of the devotions I read are probably not like devotions most people read. Most people read the daily bread and they're usually... Um, sort of fluffy and, and, and they bring the scriptures out and things but they're I read some that, that really challenge I think the, the thought of, of where we are and where we're going but in this, this devotion I just want to share a part of it it said at age 32 Elizabeth faced a life crisis of personal conscience she did not want to be married anymore to her devoted husband or to have his children Locking herself in the bathroom of her upscale home, she began to pray over and over, I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to live in this big house. I don't want to have this baby. A voice, her own, 
answered her and tells her to go back to bed. Thus begins her own self-focused spiritual journey. She goes through a divorce, moves in with her lover, and begins a self-ingratiating spiritual quest. Her final theological epithy ends the way it began. From hearing her own voice speaking to her, she concludes her highest religious dogma and theology is to honor the divinity that resides within me and to worship at the feet of the God within, a self-indulgent spiritual journey wrapped in cultural or personal selfishness. It sort of describes, I think, the church today, many in the church today, we are more concerned about our self-gratification, the cultural things that are going on, than to be obedient to God and to his word, to follow what God's word says and to be true and faithful to that. We have emotionalized our spirituality. Now emotions are something that God has given us, and they're great things to have. We can have happiness, and, and we have sorrow, and we, we have some of these things. But when we come to our spirituality, God's word is preeminent. God's word is what needs to be there. God's word is what we need to follow regardless of how I feel. And when we bring emotions into it, we have tainted the spirituality that God desires us to have. When we talk about a famine of the word of God, it's not because we don't have God's word around us. It's because we don't have God's word in us. You know, Christmas time, we have that little cliche that's said a lot of times, put Christ back in Christmas. You might have seen this as I posted this. The other one says we need to put Christ back in Christians. See, we need the word of God in us, because when the word of God is in us, it's alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts through the bone in the marrow. It is what drives us. And so when we are mad at God when we don't like the situations, when we're facing maybe a decision of doing what God says or doing what I want, we drift. We drift from God's word. We drift from God's house. We drift from God's people because we have become the self-indulgent spiritual journey of our own, listening to our own voice, rationalizing our own sin, walking in our own ways. And as the scriptures say, there's a way that seems right unto the man but its end is destruction. And so as we've read through this this morning, we read about the trials and how do we handle these trials. We learned last time that if we lack wisdom, we need to ask God. We can have the knowledge, but do you have the wisdom? I talk with people all the time that can shoot a scripture, but they don't know how to use it. They're not applying it to their life. They're just words out of their mouth. When God talks about the word of God being alive and active in us, that means it is, it is moving in us, it is changing us, it is forever working in our life. See, the problem comes in our prayer life when we don't ask appropriately. James will talk about that. We ask amiss, he would say. We're not asking with the right motives or, or the, the right meaning. We're not asking in God's will, but we're asking many times in our will. We're only seeking to satisfy our selfishness our wants, our needs, instead of wanting to know what the wisdom of God is for our lives. God, what would you have me to do? 
Paul understood that what a person goes through today is really not the end all of end all. It's not really reflective of, of what God is doing in our lives. God is preparing us for all eternity, not just this moment. We get so hung up in our lives about the here and the now. If you are rich or if you are poor, as James would say, you know, is my bank account big enough? Do I have enough for this? Do I have enough for that? The poor, you know, I need more for this. I need more for that. Why is God not giving me these things? Because there are those that insist that God desires you to be rich. But in reality, God doesn't really care if you're rich or poor. God only cares if you're his. Are you his? Are you truly his? Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. So the paradox of that is, is if, if you don't do what he commands, you really don't love him regardless of what you say. That's the gospel. That's the word of God. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Perseverance under trial. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you? And those are really questions to questions. Do you truly have a relationship with him? You know, when Peter sort of whined to God, you know, I, we've left everything, Lord, to follow you. We've, we've given up everything to follow you. Jesus responded to Peter in this way. Everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, fathers, or mothers, or children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundredfold as much. And inherit eternal life. He says, if you're willing to forsake the ways of the world, deny yourselves the, the lusts of this flesh, the sinful things of this world, he says, I am going to give you more than you can imagine. And besides that, the icing on the cake is this, is that you will inherit eternal life. The empty hollowness of, of making a profession for God and not walking in his ways is making a mockery of who Christ is and what he did for you and I. It makes a mockery of, of Calvary in the cross. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It makes a mockery of the blood of Jesus. We live in a world really where most of us have probably really never experienced really the hardship of, of really trying to feed a family on a daily basis or without going without heat or, or some other thing, shelter or clothing. It's not to say all of us that we can look back early in our marriage. We, there was times we struggled, but we always had food in our mouth. We always had a roof over our head. And I can look back and I can, I can puff those things. Oh yeah, when we were young, it was bad. But you know, there's people that go days without eating, waiting for their next meal trying to find their next meal or get their next meal provided. There are those that don't have shelters. Southern Texas, where we're at, there are those that live in cardboard villages, boxes. They're sleeping in boxes. So many of us really haven't gone through a lot of those things. We've become sort of accustomed to the luxuries that, that we have in this world. It's foreign to us. We've become a society that's really enamored with ourself. 
The way we look, how we present ourselves, our power, our positions. We want to be heard. You know, one of the biggest things in the prison, in the ministry that I've found is, you know, there's people searching in that, but one of the the biggest things is people just want to be heard. They want to talk. They want to feel important. They want, and so we live in a society where we're really uh, enamored by ourselves. We're consumed by ourselves. What am I going to get out of this? What, what, what is this going to benefit me? What if I don't like this or, or like that? I think Daryl had sent, uh, sent me a message um, from, I think, his church in Illinois. It was a wonderful message. Maybe we should show that here someday. It was, it was a beautiful message about really the attitude that we need with one another. The attitude that we need even in the world. The words of Paul should really startle us back to reality. You know, when we're in the Word of God, and that's why I tell people, read the Word of God. Have your Bible there. You know, people like to use their phone. I use my phone on occasion. But I like my Word of God because I can underline something. I can make a little note in it. I can highlight it if somebody else is talking. I can say, oh, Paul gave a devotion on this, on this date. And when I look back at it years later, I can say, oh, yeah, I remember that. We need to be in the word of God. Paul said this, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So God says when we're truly his, when we've been born again, we are to live a life, not profess a life, but to live a life in the calling that we have received. Be completely humble and gentle. The characteristics of Christ. Humbleness. God amongst us in, in, in Jesus Christ. Jesus was here. He was God. He could have he called and done anything. What the scripture says, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Godly humility understands really the consequences of sin. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then he goes on to talk about this paradox. 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot tempt by evil nor does God himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Why would James have to clarify that? Well, maybe because in these churches he's talking to, people are blaming God for things. Maybe it's the poor saying, I'm struggling. And I do believe in the biblical days to the people that that, uh, James was writing to, there was that poverty. There was that poverty in the church. He addresses it a little bit later about the lowly brother. and We exalt this one and make this one sit in the back. But I, I believe he, he's going to deal with that. You know, it tells us that each one's tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. I just wasn't strong enough to to stand up to that that temptation. It was just drawing me to 
No. The Bible says you are drawn to sin by your own desires. You see it, you want it, you go after it. You see it, you want it, you justify it. You see it, you want it, you're going to have it. We are drawn by our own desires and enticed. Then it says when desire has conceived, so we can think of a a lady having a baby, you know, all of a sudden she's pregnant. Now she's pregnant. When when sin has conceived, when the seed has been sown and, and we're giving it life within our Life. We're giving this sin the life within our, our life. The desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I often say this when you walk into a, a grocery store, you can see a candy bar there and you can say, well, there's no clerk around. I can, you know, maybe the temptation is there's no clerk. Uh, that's, I could get that candy bar. But here's where the, the seed takes life. Is all of a sudden maybe you're planning on how to do that. I want that candy bar. How can I get that clerk distracted? And you start working that over and over in your head. How can I meet with this person alone where nobody else will know? How can I get this thing that I desire without being exposed? See, we go after our own desires and it gives birth in our life. He says, do not be deceived, my, my loved ones. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of this. See, we think we we have unlimited number of days to live. It really sort of struck me yesterday because Louise was 91 years old and... um, and, and I jokingly said when we first went to Jump River 30 years ago that um, I had the old church ladies, I call it. And I said, that's a very endearing term to me. But there was like these five ladies in church and, and they were, and then they sort of mothered over me. I was a green rookie preacher and, and um, you know, they were concerned about the way that I dressed and looked and, and just all sorts of things. You know, they wanted to guide me and give me direction and advice and, and all these different things. And I was thinking, how old was she when, when I met her? Because in my mind, I was sort of thinking, she must have been in her 40s, because I was in my 20s. She was my age. She was, I think, 61, actually, when we first went to Jump River, 30 years ago. We all think that we have these days laid before us, that we're going to live forever, that we don't need to uh, pay the piper today because, you know, to, I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll straighten that out in my life tomorrow. You know, God, I'm working on it and it just takes time and, and we come up with all these things. We had sort of the narcissistic notion that nothing bad should ever happen to us as, as believers or Christians. And when hard times come, we don't know what to do, so we, we blame God. Well, certainly God isn't in it. God isn't here. God isn't at work. And we're totally shocked for this. And we never want to blame ourselves for the mess that we're in. So we got to blame somebody else. Sometimes we blame God. But James really confronts it head on, stating when tempted, no one should say I'm tempted by God. God isn't tempting me. The world has its temptations. But what do you do with those temptations? You know, Corinthians tells us 
It says, there is no temptation that can overtake us but that which is common to man. And when we are tempted, God provides a way out. We stand without excuse. Oh, it's too weak. Or, or, uh, Nipsey Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. You know, he'd do his little dance, the devil made me do it. No, no, you, you chose to do that. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Jesus sympathized with the temptations we go through. Because really in his willingness to walk this earth as a man, Again, the scriptures would say, being tempted in every way just as we were or are, yet without sin. He has provided us a way out. James knew the truth that each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. We choose to go down a path you know, Part of my message yesterday, I'm not going to get into it because it's a whole message, but the scripture talks about that we are living epistles known and read of all men. We are living books. Each day we write a new sentence, a new paragraph, a new chapter in our life. We can't change the chapter we wrote yesterday or last week or when we were younger. But we have the opportunity to change what we write today and tomorrow. We have the opportunity to have the end of the book the way that God would have us to have. Cathedrals used to sing a song. I've read the back of the book and we win. You know, we can walk in that goodness and in that light of God. It's our choice, our desire, our ungodliness that pulls us away from Him, not God. It's our choice. We choose sin. We choose disobedience. We choose selfishness. We are dying spiritually from the sin that we have conceived. That's why when we go to the cross, we bring our baggage and we say, Lord, forgive me for these things. I'm laying it there. I'm letting it go. And I'm purposing in my heart by your strength, God, by your wisdom to walk in the light as you are in the light. We just went through 1 John here not too long ago, and it talks all about that. He who professes to be in the light and walks in darkness is a liar. The truth is not in him. We choose these things in our life, and we're dying spiritually because of our disobedience, because of the sin that we've conceived. If you're in a mess, God wants to help you in that mess. There's no doubt about that. The scriptures say that. But it doesn't mean necessarily that the things are all going to go away. If I sowed a field of weeds and said, oh, I made a mistake. I guess I sowed all thistles instead of all corn. I can go out there and start planting corn, but it doesn't mean all the thistles are gone. Thistles are still there. They still need to be dealt with. Same as in our life. James would answer us this way, do not be deceived, my dear brothers. That's what James was talking about. He's a blue-collar preacher talking to the new church, one of the first books written in the New Testament, telling this new church, do not be deceived. 
cling to the word of God. When Jesus died on that cross and rose again, he provided freedom for you and me. He provided a new life for you and me. He gave us new wisdom, not just what we know, but how to do with what we know. He's given us new strength and a new direction in our life. Why do we want to continue to wallow in the slop? Why do we want to continue our old ways? It says that he has given us a new heart, a new purpose. He's given us his spirit. You know, he tells us out of the mouth precedes the issues of the heart. You don't need to listen to somebody very long to really see where their heart is at. If it's right with God, if God is in control. James will talk a little bit about the tongue in the upcoming weeks. So for rich or poor, we can look at things. You know, the poor thinks money makes problems go away. The rich know that money doesn't make problems go away. Sometimes it can create more problems. But either way, money can make life easier, but it doesn't make life more meaningful. It doesn't make your life more meaningful. Jesus wants you to experience a meaningful life that really can only be experienced in the eternal things that are offered through Christ. And those are the things James says are truly going to make us rich. Let's pray.